Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring Out the Podcast. Sorry we've been off for a couple of weeks, but we're back now. Kansas State is 2-0. That's the good news. And we'll get to the bad news. JT Van Gilder is here with us. JT, how you doing? Um, well, you know, I'm doing all right. Cats won last night, so you know that, that's that's about <laughs> all I can be happy about right now. Chiefs are not doing so good while we're recording here, but uh Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe they'll bounce back. There you go. Yeah, so a lot of uncertainty heading into the Saturday's matchup against Nevada. You know, a pretty good Nevada Wolfpack team. So we brought on Chris Murray, who writes for Nevada Sportsnet. Chris, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. You know, that it's it's tough. I think, you know, you definitely heard it in the stadium yesterday. I think even after they scored that, that second touchdown, there wasn't much of a celebration because a couple of plays earlier, Skylar Thompson went down with a non-contact injury. Those are never good. You know, we're, we're not going to try to speculate here, but I think a lot of people are kind of assuming the worst right now. We're recording this Sunday afternoon. There have been no real reports or anything as far as I know. So, but JT, I mean, you were there. What was it like to, to see that? Um, that was pretty surreal. Like the, the play was happening to that side. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of in focus and I watched him plant to go take a block you know, he was being a great teammate. He was going out mm-hmm. to throw a block and just planted funny and his knee just gave and he just fell like, I mean, face first and just landed there. And yeah. I mean, the play continued, you know, for another minute or, you know, whatever, a couple seconds before Deuce was tackled. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the hush in that stadium, I mean, it was, it's been a while since I've heard it, you know, just that quiet. I mean, even last year when he got speared and got hit there by, uh, was it Rico Jeffers? Yeah, I, I get the Ricos messed up uh, down in Texas, but um, at that point, they, you know, fans were mostly pissed because of you know yeah. the, kind of the cheap shot. This one was just was like, right. oh my god, and you can't believe it just happened again, and he's out, and what's going to happen? It was definitely surreal. Yeah, I mean, it so, kind of makes it tougher because you don't have anywhere to direct your anger this time, right? And, and you then, saw, I think, if you seen the pictures of Chris Kleiman, just the emotion on his face, you can really see how much he cares about Skyler and his players that that was hard to see. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stadium was like that too. I mean, it's just that yeah. like very just upset for a great kid that, you know, he's, he's going to be out again and like what, what's going to happen. So yeah, it definitely took right. some wind out of the sails, both of the fans and the team. It, part of the reason for that second quarter collapse there. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. doubt. Yeah. But Kansas State did finally bounce back, and they they got the win, and now they got to move forward with Will Howard. And I think Nevada already had the edge in the quarterback matchup, no matter who K-State put out there, but now it's going to be even more pronounced because Carson Strong is coming to town. And I, I got to tell you, Chris, I was doing some research, and you know, I heard Carson Strong was good. I, I knew he was talented, but I didn't realize that some people think he's number one draft pick good. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of mock drafts out there that have him going, you know, first overall. There was one in Sports Illustrated during the summer, and then CBS Sports released two mock drafts last week, one with him going one overall, one with him going two overall. I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. I think I was the first person in the media to say he's a first-round draft pick because I get to see him every day in practice. So he is super talented. He's six foot four. He's exceptionally intelligent. He really, really loves football. It's all that he lives for. His arm is ridiculously strong. 
He makes quick decisions. He has a really high football IQ. His offensive coordinator is Matt Mummy, son of Hal Mummy, who created the Air Raid. Matt Mummy was the backup to Tim Couch at Kentucky when Tim Couch went number one overall, and he says Carson Strong is a much, much better NFL prospect. I think the thing that maybe keeps him from going 1-1 is that he doesn't have elite athleticism. Like, he was a good high school basketball player, but he's also had three knee surgeries on the exact same knee, including two this offseason. So, like, he can move around the pocket, but he's not going to go and run for 25, 30 yards down the field. So, you look at the most recent number one draft picks, I think you have to go to probably Sam Bradford to see a guy who's just purely a pocket quarterback go number one overall, and that was many, many years ago. And actually, Jay Norvell, who's the head coach in Nevada, was Sam Bradford's offensive coordinator at Oklahoma when Sam was there, and he's kind of compared Carson to Sam. So whether he goes 1-1 or whether he's just a first-round draft pick, I mean, he's certainly a talent that Nevada doesn't get very often. Nevada actually had Colin Kaepernick inducted into its Hall of Fame last Saturday, and Colin was on campus for the first time in several years. And it's kind of like, you know, the bridge from Colin to Carson Strong. Since 1950, Nevada's only had one guy start an NFL game at quarterback, that being Colin Kaepernick, Carson Strong is going to start games at the NFL level. He is an exceptionally talented quarterback, and he is Nevada's most dangerous weapon. Like, he just falls out of bed, and he has 300 yards, three touchdown games. Like, that's kind of like an average game for him, maybe even a bad game for him. You look at his game at Cal to open the season, you know, he threw for 300-plus yards and a couple touchdowns, and he didn't even necessarily play that great, and he had seven drops, and he wasn't protected all that well. So he is certainly a very talented guy and a, a the reason that Nevada is getting top 25 votes and is kind of getting some buzz as a team that could maybe get to a New Year's Six Bowl out of the group of five. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember where Colin was drafted, but, I mean, what's Nevada's highest draft pick? Where, huh? They've never had a first-round draft pick in the modern era. Uh, you go back to 1949, which is kind of funny, had a quarterback named Stan Heath who was the number five overall pick. He was the first quarterback to throw for 2,000 yards in the college football season, and it didn't happen for 20 years after that. So you got to go back a long, long time to see that. Colin was the 36th pick in his draft, 2011. But a lot of that buzz just came late in the year when they upset number three, Boise State, and they finished 13-1 and and finished 11th in the country. Like, you know, Carson's been getting this entering really his third year of playing college football. So he's been dealing with a lot of hype and expectations. And you look at the first two games and he's definitely lived up to it. And it's not just him. Like he's not just a good quarterback doing it by himself. Romeo mm-hmm. Dubs is their number one right. wide receiver. He was right. in Todd McShay's top 50 prospects of this year's draft. They have a six foot six tight end named Cole Turner, who's going to yeah. be a draft pick. They have another wide receiver, Elijah Cooks, who caught two touchdowns last week, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. They have an offensive line that maybe isn't great, but they have a kid named Aaron Frost, their right tackle, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. So, like, it's kind of like a Josh Allen kind of formula when Josh Allen was at Wyoming, which is the same conference that Nevada plays in. Not only is he good, but, like, Josh had a tight end, a running back, and a wide receiver who all played in the NFL. So it's kind of accentuated – his talent just because of there being NFL talent around him. And I think that's yeah. what gets Nevada really excited about what it could do yeah. this year with Carson Strong and his, you know, talented playmakers. Yeah. And you didn't mention, I mean, Torrey Horton looked like the guy who was their deep threat against California made a couple of big plays. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this so. is a kid who at 17 years old, Torrey Horton last year scored three yeah. touchdowns against Fresno State, his hometown school. He's yeah. from Fresno. Nobody offered him, even though his brother was a three-time All-Mountain West defensive back at Boise State, so he has great pedigree. But, you know, he's another six-foot-two kid who can just run past you. So if he's your fourth-best pass-catching option and he scores five touchdowns as a true freshman in nine games and is kind of their, like, key reserve, it just shows you how deep this, you know, passing game can be at times. 
Yeah. So then, I mean, is that a situation where like they just happen to have all the talent at the same time or a coach is able to say, Hey, we've got this great quarterback come play for us. And guys are like, yeah, okay. No, they all, they all grew up together. I mean, Tori is the newest addition because he joined the team last year, but uh, you look at Carson Strong, who I mentioned, Romeo Dubs, Cole Turner, the tight end, Nevada's two top running backs, Toa Tawa. He's actually the brother of Vitao, who's Nevada's all-time leading rusher in the FBS era. He played with Colin Kaepernick. Vi is now the team's running backs coach. And then they have another running back called Devontae Lee, who also is, you know, a very, very good player. He's kind of their wildcat back when they get into the wildcat situations and their goal line back. All five of those guys, from Carson to Romeo to Cole Turner to Toa Tawa to Devontae Lee, they're all in their fourth year in Nevada. So all these guys have kind of grown up together. That was Jane Orville's first full recruiting class after being hired five years ago. And it's just worked out that all of those guys have turned into spectacular players. So you put all those guys together and, you know, Romeo, Carson, and Cole have been roommates for the last five years as well. So they're very close off the field. They go and work out together every single day. So it's just been kind of one of those really remarkable classes that you don't see at the group of five level all that often. And, you know, they've been able to go through some adversity, you know, they've never made it to a conference championship game. And, you know, they were a half away from doing that last year. They were up 10 points at halftime against San Jose State. If they win that game, they're in the Mountain West title game. And they, you know, Toa fumbled twice in the second half, including one on the one inch yard line. And I think they just feel like this is the season to be really, really special before they go off to the NFL. And, you know, it's to be told whether they accomplished that, but, you know, they beat Cal in the season opener. They had no issues with Idaho State. And if they go out and they beat Kansas State on the road this week and then Boise State on the road the game after that, this is a team that's going to be in the top 25. So really their most difficult games are right out of the gates. And I think they're really looking at this Kansas State game to really add to that resume and say, yeah, we are a legitimate top 25 kind of team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... So just just for benefit of our listeners, I mean, you're obviously very well versed in Nevada football. You've been covering this program for a long time now, right? How many years is it? Yeah, I mean, I've been covering Nevada athletics for the last 20 years since I was a sophomore yeah. in school there, and football specifically for the last 12 years. So my first year there, yeah. I covered you know Colin Kaepernick's team 2010, and Nevada went 13 and one. They finished. 11th in the country that's really the anomaly you know the Wolfpack is usually a bowl team but it's usually like a seven win bowl team it's never usually top 25 for sure it's only been top 25 twice in its history 1948 and 2010 and you know they've only won two championships at the conference level even in the last 20 years that being 2005 and 2010 under Chris Alt who's in the college football hall of fame so you know whenever coach Alt has stepped away they haven't been very good at football but Jay Norville's done a really good job and, you know, they really have a nice, you know, accumulation of players and they have a very favorable schedule. I mean, Kansas State, you could argue if they were at full strength, would be the most difficult team Nevada would play this season, which, you know, Kansas State is a solid program for sure, but it's not like they loaded up their schedule. You know, they played Notre Dame in the past and Oregon and all of these teams that, you know, just are a million, a million and a half dollar buy games. And they don't really have that on the schedule this year. They are getting a million dollars to go to Kansas State. But, you know, that's certainly a winnable game. I mean, the early line has Nevada favored by a couple of points. So it's pretty rare that Nevada has this kind of, you know, talent base on its roster. If you look at the history of the program and their whole thing is, you know, they want to capitalize because they know all of these guys that we've mentioned, including Carson Strong. I mean, this is going to be their last year at Nevada because the pro aspirations are going to be too good to pass up, even though Carson has two more years of eligibility after this year. Yeah. So, JT, I mean, hearing all this about the Nevada offense and, and all the guys they've got there and, you know, getting a little 
obviously, which, you know, I think that that Stanford game looks even better than it did now, although that's not necessarily a strong passing attack. But the secondary looked shaky in the first half, but, you know, you could say that was partly because of the Tyler Thompson injury and that they locked down in the second half. So, you know, how do you think they're going to handle this kind of challenge? You know, it. we've been really lucky these first two games. Uh, Southern Illinois quarterbacks pretty much had the one starter, and I, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. But they did run a couple of, you know, alternate quarterback sets. Uh, obviously, Stanford rotated between their two guys. So having, like, one quarterback to focus on may actually help. So, they, you know, they've, they've spent all this time. They, they've had to scout two quarterbacks and alternate systems. Whereas Nevada's, I mean, obviously Carson's going to play the whole game and he's going to be the guy. And so you can, you can kind of control that a little bit more. That's one less thing that they have to worry about is, you know, or is so-and-so going to come in? Are we going to have to change the scheme because of that? So, but yeah, I, I think there's definitely still some issues on the back end that it definitely helped getting Daniel Green back on the field right. um, in right. the second half. i lost him in the first half due to the ejection at the end of the Stanford game. But then getting him back was was obviously quite a big deal. But really, what's going to come down to you know whether or not the secondary gets picked apart is whether or not the defensive front can get pressure on Carson Strong. And you know Chris will have to speak to the strength of the uh, Nevada O line on keeping him upright. But if you know if they can get if they can get pressure, if they can yeah. get home, then the you know the K State defense can force. Carson to throw before he wants to or to get him out of rhythm, then that should help the K-State secondary quite a bit. Yeah. And before we let Chris jump in on that, I just want to say when I was watching Nevada, I mean, it seemed like not only is their offensive line pretty solid, but they really get the ball out pretty quick. The routes they run and just the Carson Strong's, you know, the way he throws the ball. Yeah, I mean, there are some weaknesses on this Nevada team. I don't want to build them up like they're going to go into Manhattan and absolutely throttle the Wildcats. Like They do not (laughs) run the ball exceptionally well. Like, you know, they're going to go out there and throw it a lot with the air raid, but they want to be balanced. I mean, they still ran the ball 42% of their plays last year, and they're not an exceptionally good running team. The offensive line has been pretty good in pass protection, but it's not elite in pass protection. And Carson Strong, while being a little bit mobile, is not a dual-threat quarterback, so you can get home on him for sure. You know, Nevada averaged 31 points per game last year, which is a good figure, but that's 46th in the nation, right? A lot of these guys were young, and it was their first year really having a breakout season. So, you know, it's there's more for the offense to get there than they've shown at times, especially against better defenses like Cal. They went out to Cal and they moved the ball well, but they only scored 22 points. You know, the defense won that game. And then you look defensively at Nevada, and I think, you know, they are a solid defense, but they're not necessarily a great defense. And, uh, you know, they had some vulnerabilities in run defense against Cal. Cal averaged five and a half yards per carry against the Wolfpack. And, they ran the ball 13 times on their first two drives and they got back-to-back touchdowns and Nevada's down 14-0. And then Cal only ran the ball 15 times in this last nine drives for whatever reason. They just went away from what was working. So I think if there's going to be issues in this game for Nevada, it's going to be up front. You know, they've got a pretty good defensive line, two All-Mountain West players and Dom Peterson and Sam Hammond. But I think Kansas State is going to be better up front to be you know, quite blunt about that. And if Kansas State is able to use that to its advantage in terms of pressuring Carson Strong, who, like every quarterback, is not as good when he's under duress, and then Kansas State really running the ball at Nevada, specifically being very good on first down and putting itself in advantageous positions, I think there's definitely a path up front for Kansas State to have a lot of success on offense and to put Nevada in some tricky positions. So, you know, it's a team 
that we'll see how it develops over the year. I mean, it was seven and two last year, but that was against the conference only schedule before beating, uh, you know, Tulane, which was pretty undermanned because of COVID in the bowl game. So it really comes down to upfront for Nevada. If Nevada is even or better upfront on the offensive and defensive line, I think it wins this game, but that's going to be the big challenge. Can the Wolfpack be as physical and be as good upfront as what it's going to see from Kansas State? If it is, they have the skill position players to really go out there and have a lot of success. But, you know, there have been some areas or some times where Nevada's line play is not up to the level it needs to be to win some of these bigger games, specifically that San Jose State game that I mentioned, you know, when Nevada lost a chance to get into a Mountain West championship game last year, they were absolutely throttled up front in the second half by San Jose State. And if something like that happens again, then they're not going to have a lot of success against Kansas State. The good thing for Nevada is they had so many of these super seniors come back specifically on the defensive line. Their offensive line returned four stars and as veteran as it's been under Jay Norvell. So that group should be better, but that will definitely be a big key for the Wolfpack just to be able to give their really good skill players a chance to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we can comfortably say that if Kansas State is running the ball successfully, they will not go away from it, especially yeah. with Will Howard at quarterback. <laughs> so, so I hope not. But, I guess one other um, advantage potentially for Kansas State is that, you know, I feel like this Nevada team has not played in a lot of environments like the Snyder Family Stadium. And two years ago, and I mean, obviously it's kind of a different team, but Carson Strong was playing. They went to Oregon. They lost 77 to 6. You know, just how do you think they'll handle the, the crowd noise and everything else that comes with going to a you know, place like Kansas State. Yeah, it'll definitely be different. I mean, given last year playing in front of no fans the whole year. I mean, this is a team under Jay Norvell. Jay is three and four against Power Five schools, so he's had some success. Nevada has only four other wins in its FBS era since 1992 against Power Five schools. So Jay's definitely had a little bit of success. They beat. Oregon State, they beat Purdue, they beat Cal. That Cal win was the only one on the road. I would say about that Oregon game, that was Carson Strong's second ever start. He came back from, or the team came back from 18 points down in the season opener against Purdue at home and Carson's first start to win the game. Carson actually like broke his collarbone in that game and continued to play against Oregon, which probably was an ill-advised decision. And he got absolutely destroyed in that game because Nevada's offensive line was overwhelmed and he was pulled pretty early. So I think that's probably the reason for that lopsided nature. I don't think Nevada's going to be spooked by playing in front of a big crowd or anything like that. But I think this is a huge test for, okay, well, how good is that 7-2 and two last year? How good is this, you know, 2-0 start? Like, you know, go on the road against the Power 5 school and go and prove it, you know, against a team that wants to be and probably will be playing in a bowl game this year. So I think this is a huge test for Carson's draft stock. I think this is a huge test for Nevada to prove it's a top 25 team. I'm a top 25 voter, and I'm kind of known in this area as being kind of, I don't want to say pessimistic, but hard on the Wolf Pack. Like, you know, a lot of times I'll be like, okay, well, you know, the team might be 7-2, and two, but maybe a little bit overrated. I have Nevada in my top 25 at not 20 overall. So, I just think this is a super talented team that I expect to win at least double digits. I did in my preseason predictions have them losing to Kansas State, one of my two losses I forecasted for them. But, like, this is a legitimately good team. If Kansas State goes out and beats this team, I think Kansas State is a team that can do a lot of damage in the Big 12 because I think Nevada is a team that even if it was playing in the Big 12 would get to a bowl game. You mentioned you're a voter. I got to ask you, have you put Kansas State in your top 25 this year? I have not. You know, they were kind of on my, like, list of others. You know, I think that win over Stanford, like you guys said, 
really does gain a lot of steam given this, you know, what Stanford went out and did to USC. So it's funny in the AP top 25 that came out today, Nevada earned, I think, 28 points, which I think is ostensibly like 34th in the nation. The team right in front of it is Kansas State by one point. I think they got one additional point. So uh, it's very close. Like this is a very even matchup. If they were at full strength, I just think you look at this quarterback battle and I think the big edge goes to Nevada and they usually go with the team with the better quarterback. So I probably will end up picking Nevada in this game, but I think it will be a fun test up front for Nevada to prove that, you know, they have the physicality, the toughness, the will to go along with all the flashy put position players that they have. Yeah. I guess one, one last thing I wanted to ask you about Carson Strong, just kind of looking back at his numbers, what really jumps out is that from his first year as a starter, he was like 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions in the last year. 27 touchdowns and only four interceptions. And especially for a guy who is obviously not afraid to throw it deep and has the arm to do it, you know, how does he throw so few interceptions? Yeah, I mean, he's just very accurate with his passes. And a lot of time he just finds these one-on-one positions and he throw it deep and he just trusts his wide receivers. So some credit, you know, goes to the wide receiver for winning those one-on-one battles. You know, he did throw an interception against Cal on a deep ball mm-hmm. that just didn't go his way. But, you know, he'll yeah. he'll throw the ball deep like that. But Nevada's offense in the air raid is I don't want to say it's simplistic but you're going to see a lot of short throws to running backs and tight ends and like high percentage throws and then just a lot of deep balls so he's not necessarily being asked to throw like a lot of you know intermediate routes that might be a little bit more interceptable but the fun thing about Nevada is they do take a lot of deep shots every game I mean Carson completed more air balls of 50 plus yards so where the ball's in the air for at least 50 yards than any fbs uh, quarterback last year in fact he threw four 50 plus yard air balls last year no other quarterback in the nation threw more than one so like they're going to take a number of deep shots probably to romeo dubs number seven because he's their best wide receiver and you know the ability to protect the ball is definitely something that's required at the NFL level. The best quarterbacks in the NFL are yeah. not throwing double-digit interceptions, so you know he does a really good job with that. And you know he has been very, very good with the lack of interceptions. When you look at his career, the only time he hasn't really performed well was during that three or four game stretch where he was playing with the broken collarbone. They sat him down for two games. He came back and he was terrific. So he was terrific against Purdue, leading that upset his redshirt freshman year, his first start. Then he had a really rough three or four game stretch where he was playing through the broken collarbone. And then he came back late in 2019. And from then on, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. So if he is healthy, you know, he's been really great at creating big plays and throwing touchdowns and not throwing interceptions. So, you know, it's really hard to get him off his game, but the way to do it obviously is to pressure him, especially because he's kind of been nursing a a little bit of a knee injury. He had a major knee surgery right before his high school senior season which means he didn't play his senior season of high school which allowed Nevada to kind of keep him off the radar of power five schools and then after last year he had a knee surgery to you know deal with some issues and then he had a scope right before fall camp that kind of held him out you know the first about 10 days of fall camp this year so just watch out for that right knee injury obviously Kansas State's going to be heading into this game you know without their starting quarterback and you know it's just Nevada's confident that he's healthy but that's the biggest concern i think for them is just can they keep carson upright because of the the situation he's been going through with that right knee during his entire career i'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned our career. i've been kind of wondering about that for sure for just a quick backstory on him he's from vacaville which is outside of the sacramento area it's about three hours away from the city of reno and he joined a seven on seventeen that was coached by maurice jones drew the former jaguars and raiders yeah. running back 
and they kind of had to fill out like a questionnaire about like, you know, what offers do you have this and that? And he put down like Southern Oregon. That's all he put down heading into his junior <laughs> year. And Maurice Jones Jew was like, Oh, you have an offer to Southern Oregon? And he said, No, I have interest. That's the only thing that's ever talked to me. And, you know, there were a ton of people who tried out for the team. Him and a kid named Ben Woolridge, who's a backup at Fresno State, were the only ones to make the team. And Maurice Jones Jew was trying to talk to all these, you know, teams about like, This kid is great. This kid is great. And the only team that offered him was Nevada. And then he has a, he was actually in Reno going in a basketball tournament and he felt some pain in his knee and they went in and looked at it and he had like a pretty severe thing that they had to get taken care of because if it snapped, it would have ended his athletic career. So they took care of it, but he missed his whole senior season, which meant, you know, playing in this small town of Vacaville and not having a senior season, nobody really saw him play in terms of the power five level. And that really kind of greased the path for him to eventually go to Nevada as his only offer. JT, I was going to say, uh, you know, he was talking about the, the air raid and kind of the, the Thursday. That, that reminds me a lot of the Texas Tech air raid back in the day that would really frustrate those Kansas State defenses. I think that those yeah. that everybody. Yeah, but, I mean, those air raid teams would frustrate Bill Snyder defenses. True. And it seems like, at, at least on some level, the Chris Kleiman-led defenses are at least more willing to make adjustments for those pass-happy teams and of course, in the Big 12, everybody throws the ball all the time, a lot, anyways. I mean, you got to be ready for it against Oklahoma and against Baylor and West Virginia, and you know, take your pick. They're all throwing the ball all over the place. So, and I think the switch to the three-three-five or the you know modified four-two-five that they're kind of running should actually you know really help them in a game like this, where you're expecting the quarterback to throw a lot and get enough you know pressure from your front three or four to slow the run game down enough. And if, you know, like Chris says, if you're not expecting this quarterback to run a lot on you, which is something that, you know, K-State teams have to face a lot in the Big 12. It's a lot, there's a lot of mobile quarterbacks in this league. And if you're not expecting that guy to take off down the field, that's one more defender you can put out, you know, in the pattern to break up receivers route, to get in the way of balls, or one more that you can send home without fear that this guy's going to, you know, turn the edge on you and, and scamper for, you know, 30 yards before being touched. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we are back. So we've heard a lot about Carson strong and you, you kind of touched on that. The defense actually sort of won the game against Cal. So let, let's switch over to that side of the ball. You know, one thing that I think Cal's first scoring drive was, Nine minutes, fifteen plays. Like that's that's old school Snyder ball. Maybe that's what K State should be going for to keep Carson Strong off the field. Is that a good way to beat this defense? Yeah, I mean you look at so Nevada lost two games last year. One game was at Hawaii, which is always kind of a difficult place for Nevada to play, but the Wolfpack offense only had seven offensive possessions in that whole game. Todd Graham, who the former head coach at Arizona State, Pitt, and a number of other schools is the head coach at Hawaii. And he basically said, okay, we're going to drop seven. We're going to double-team Romeo Dubs on every single pass, and you're going to run the ball. And if you run the ball for 300 yards, like, congratulations, you win the game. But Nevada, you know, had some success running the ball. They, you know, they were effective throwing the ball, but they were not hitting any deep bombs. And they had a number of offensive penalties that were just kind of backbreakers Uh for drives. And they couldn't overcome that. And they ended up scoring, I think, 21 points, losing 27 to 21. You look at the San Jose State game, the other game they lost. It was a very similar formula. They were basically told, you're going to throw the ball. And Nevada had two really ill-timed second-half fumbles. 
and they also allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown, and that's why they lost the game. So if Kansas State can go on five, six, seven-minute drives, if they can keep Carson Strong to eight or nine offensive possessions, that is the formula to beat Nevada. That was the formula that Cal was using before they completely went away from it and started throwing the ball 67, you know, 70% of the time. So I think that's what makes this an interesting game is that Kansas State is probably going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively. And then what does that mean to Nevada's offense and their ability to try and, you know, be as explosive as they can be? Like, this is a team that when they're not hitting their deep passes can kind of bog down offensively. They could be stuck in the 25-point range and kind of be vulnerable if the deep ball is being defended and if their offense is not on the field as much because of the opposing team's running game. So that's why I think this is a fun matchup is because I think Kansas State has a lot of the formula required to go out and be a team that's as explosive as Nevada. Now, can they go out there and execute it and actually do it? Cal did it for a quarter. Cal did not do it for the final three quarters and end up losing. If you can do this, you know, for Kansas State for three quarters and maybe Carson and Romeo only hit one deep ball rather than do that all game, then I think this is a game that kind of they can very simply win. And it'll just be a nice test for Nevada to prove that they can win a game that might be slowed down a little bit more than they would like. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, you talked about that the defense has a lot of returners. You know, one thing that stood out last year is they were dead last in the Mountain West in penalty yards. I mean, is the theory that they'll be more disciplined and kind of be able to correct that this season? Um, not against Idaho State in the first half. I think they had eight penalties uh, <laughs> in that last game. So, yeah, that is an issue. Their offensive line, their best offensive lineman is a kid named Aaron Frost. He's six foot five. He's the mm-hmm. right tackle. He came to Nevada from Long Beach Poly, which has put more NFL players into the league than any high school in the entire United States. Uh, he came to Nevada as a defensive lineman, and then they moved him to offensive line as true freshman season. And he's really blossomed. Like, you will see whoever he's going against be super frustrated with Aaron because Aaron is going to jump on that player all game, every game, past the whistle. And he will probably get a personal foul and he will probably get a couple other penalties. Like, that's Aaron's kind of MO. So, I think, you know, Aaron has said he wants to work on the penalties, but he's a very physical player. Uh, I think when you look at Nevada, they do not turn the ball over all that much in terms of their defense. And sometimes they can be a little penalty prone because of their aggressiveness. And they're not great in special teams. They're not bad. Romeo Dub mm-hmm. is a very good punt returner. Brandon Talton's a very good, you know, kicker. And then Julian Diaz has a very strong leg as a punter, you know, averages 45 yards per kick. They don't do a lot in the return game. And they did give up, you know, a couple of big plays last year. So, you know, they have those things to clean up for sure. In terms of the penalties, like, you know, that can be hit or miss from game to game. They were very good against Cal. We're not so good against Idaho State. But, you know, I think the lack of being able to create a lot of turnovers on defense has kind of been something that they're trying to solve. They're in the second year of their coordinator, Brian Ward. He came from Syracuse. He was a coordinator there. So, you know, Nevada's defense is, I would say, solid, but, you know, they don't create necessarily a lot of havoc plays, although they are coming off eight sacks against Idaho State. Again, this is Idaho State. They also (laughs) had eight sacks in their bowl game, though. So, you know, two of their last three games, they've had eight sacks. The defensive line can be really, really good at times, but that the offense to me is definitely more talented than the defense but the defense has stepped up and won some games for this team over the last year yeah yeah and jt i mean turnover is always a concern when will howard is playing quarterback i guess you know what can he do and what can the coaches do to, to limit those well you know that was it was kind of a weird deal actually will howard looked better with the turnovers at least yesterday than skylar thompson did yeah of all things i mean but it was of course it was just a weird game overall but but yeah, I mean, he's definitely got that where he's he has a tendency to overthrow receivers, and so you know, 
we're going to figure out ways to get him, you know, wait, you know, Chris talked about how getting the ball out fast for Nevada and, and setting that up, you know, some of those things I think would actually help Howard feel more comfortable getting a few of those shorter passes out, get him going, get him where he, he's getting in that rhythm before trying to, to do something crazy with play action or, or get, you know, a, a chuck down the field, but I'm not a coach, you know, I, I'm not in practice. I don't know what they see. So I don't know, but uh, they do really good. And, and some of it's, you know, we've, we've gotten so used to Skylar Thompson and being this ultimate ball control quarterback and he doesn't throw the ball away. He doesn't throw interceptions or they're pretty rare. Even that one in the first quarter was, was surprising because it was like, man, what Skylar, what did you just do? You, you never throw picks and here all of a sudden you throw a pick and the Deuce Vaughn fumble, which was just like incredibly surprising. Like, well, what, yeah. what's going on here? He hadn't fumbled in forever. And all of a sudden, you know, now Skylar goes down and Deuce is fumbling like, you know, is this the end times? Like, what's going on here? So <laughs> I don't think we'll see, you know, more of that. They'll definitely have to be careful with Will. You know, they've got to throw some different looks at him and, and practice or something. So he, you know, he's got to get comfortable throwing into traffic and throwing, you know, some of those things so that he doesn't, you know, get picked off. But, but you know, hand, in, hand induce the ball, running the game, playing ball control, just playing to the strengths, I think is going to help limit those turnovers, you know, if they can stay ahead, you know, uh, of the game, or if it's, you know, if they can, if it stays close and they don't feel like they need to throw to get downfield, you know, if they can be successful in the running game, that's really going to keep, you know, turnovers down. It's not a team that fumbles a lot, thankfully. I mean, it, it happens, but it's, it, it's pretty low. And that's generally been the case for K-State teams over the, you know, years, regardless of who's the coach. Running backs generally do a pretty good job with that. So, but yeah, so they're just got to play within themselves and not try to get too fancy. And I think we'll see another game where they, they limit turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, before we get to your prediction, I did want to ask you, you know, Jay Norvell is the kind of guy with the resume he's building at Nevada. If, if he were a younger coach, he, it seemed like he would definitely be a top candidate for like a power five job, but you know, being that he is 58, even though he has that power five experience, which might, might help too. He's been at OU in Texas as an assistant. But, you know, do you expect him, if Nevada has the kind of year they're capable of, to be getting some calls? Oh, yeah. I mean, he interviewed for the Arizona job last year. He's interviewed at Missouri and South Carolina while at Nevada. He did have to wait a super long time to eventually become a head coach. Like you said, he's 58. So, what, he was 53 when he got hired by Nevada? He spent six years in the NFL. He's coaching the Super Bowl. He's coaching the BCS championship game. Uh, his dad, Merritt Norvell, was one of the first black athletic directors at in the Big Ten when he was at Michigan State. So, you know, Merritt's really fought, you know, for most of his life to try and get minority coaches head coaching opportunities. And Merritt, unfortunately, passed away right before the beginning of the 2020 season. You'll probably see Jay's visor during the game. He has the initials of both of his parents on the side of his visors because mm-hmm. both passed away in about a 10-month period. I think Jay is destined definitely to get a power five opportunity if Nevada goes out and wins double digit games this year. He's still the lowest paid coach in the Mountain West, uh, which is a little bit surprising. Wow. Makes about $625,000 a year. Uh, you know, if even a low level power five steps up with, you know, a five year, $10 million deal, $2 million a year, which is kind of low end for a power five school. I don't see him turning that down. I think this is a guy who believes he should have been a power five coach a long, long time ago. And, you know, he first interviewed for a head coaching job at Bowling Green when Urban Meyer got that job about 25 years ago. And he's kind of always wondered, well, if I get that Bowling Green job, does that put me on the same trajectory of Urban Meyer, who then went to Utah and had success and then Florida and then Ohio State and now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think this is a guy who believes 
that he's one of the better coaches uh, at the head coaching level in the nation. And it took him a long time to get that opportunity with Nevada, but he's done a really good job so far. And if this season turns out like a lot of people in Nevada hope and believe it will turn out, then Nevada's probably not going to have him next year just because the opportunities, you know, especially with the Pac-12 and with the Big Ten, maybe having some head coaching openings. I mean, look at Scott Frost at Nebraska. You know, Jay was an assistant at Nebraska. He's been an assistant at UCLA, like you mentioned. He's been at Oklahoma and Texas. He's been at Arizona State. So this is a guy who has a really, really good resume. And now he has proof that he could be a head coach given his Nevada tenure. Yeah, well, you know, USC keeps playing like they did on Saturday. I think they're getting pretty tired <laughs> of Clay Hilton over there. Yeah, I, I don't know that he's ready for like that big of a jump up, but that's, that's a job that's probably going to be open here pretty soon. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a couple other things. First of all, you know, watching that California game, I'm a big fan of Nevada's silver chrome helmets. Are we going to get to see those on Saturday? Yeah, so that's actually a new helmet that they've debuted. It definitely looks really slick at night. This game's obviously yeah. not going to be at night, but it's a specific kind of silver that's never been worn before. So they actually got like a copyright on it. So they're uh, calling it Nevada Silver. So, you know, Jay's kind of mixed stuff up. They've never actually worn the official team logo on their helmet during the Jay Norvell era, and Jay's never worn it on the sidelines. So I don't know if he's a not a big fan of the wolf uh, wolf heads that they use as their official logo, but they have some pretty nice uniforms for sure. They don't have too many varieties. It's not like it's Oregon out there, but fans have really liked this new shade of silver that they created prior to this year for their helmets. Yeah, it's cool. And then the last thing, you know, you were obviously covering Nevada, I think it was 2019, and I'm a big fan of Last Chance U. So I mean, you got to cover Malik Henry and, you know, he was portrayed in the documentary as kind of someone who was a bad teammate and kind of selfish and insufferable at times. I mean, talking to him in person, I'm just curious, was he the guy that we saw in the documentary? Uh, he's not that far off, honestly. Like I did not have a bunch of interactions with him his first year here. I talked to him after the spring game. He was not, you know, put off limits, but we could only talk about the spring game. We couldn't talk about anything else. And then, as I mentioned, Carson had that collarbone issue, so they actually turned to Malik Henry to start two games during the 2019 season. He was kind of announced as the starter early in the week, I think on a Monday. I had put an interview request to talk with him on a Tuesday, and that was approved. And he was walking off the field that Tuesday, and, you know, the sports information director was there to kind of escort him to the interview and he brushed him off and said, I'm not talking to the media and talked with the uh, offensive coordinator, Matt Mummy the next day. And, you know, kind of, you know, before we started taping, it was like, yeah, that's what I have to deal with every day kind of thing. So, you know, I wish Malik the best. I know he's playing in a pro league. At least he was earlier this year. He didn't make it mm -hmm. past, you know, that first year with Nevada, he started two games. He was actually great in that first game against San Jose State. They put up 41 points. They won 41, 38. It was the most points Nevada scored that entire season. And then the next game at Utah State was an absolute, you know, disaster. It was horrible weather. Nevada got completely stomped. Malik didn't play very well. And then the day after that Monday, he was no longer practicing with the team to focus on academics, wasn't suspended or anything like that. And then just never saw the practice field again and then didn't enroll for the next semester. So uh, I only talked to him, I guess, what it would have been. It would have been twice. That Tuesday after he kind of blew off the media, he did talk the next day, and they told us it was a miscommunication. It was professional and everything like that. I just, I also watched that, you know, documentary because there was a kid from yeah. this area, Kerry okay. Buckmaster, who was on that season. So I was doing a story on him, and, you know, it's, you know, to me, it, it seemed like Malik was a kid who played football because he was good at it rather than he loved it. And that doesn't really yeah. work at the college level. You know, you got to also love it. So, you know, he, 
I think a lot of his teammates liked him. During the pandemic, he helped one of his teammates, Burdell Robbins, who was a starting cornerback for the Wolfpack, pack, you know, lunches for homeless people and hand those out and things like that. So, you know, a lot of kids from Nevada, from Los Angeles area and New Malik growing up, and they really do like him and enjoy him. You know, my interactions might not have been necessarily the greatest, but, you know, they weren't horrible. He wasn't like a, you know, horrible to us and his teammates, you know, kind of respected him. So kudos to him for that. And, you know, I hope he finds what makes him happy in the long run, whether it's football or not. I mean, he certainly was a talented kid and you could see in practice, he could make some unbelievable throws. I just don't think, you know, you got, you got to be more than talented to succeed at the college level. And, you know, maybe he didn't have all of those pieces in place. Kind of shows you how far this program has come, though, to where they were turning to a guy like Malik Henry in 2019. And by the end of last year, they had the Mountain West Player of the Year at that position. So they're very fortunate that Carson Strong has worked out. And, you know, Carson's very fortunate, uh, you know, as well to be able to play in this offense with these really talented players around him. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a uh, prediction time. And before we, we get on this, I just want to point out that, so you, you made your game by game predictions at the start of the season. You predicted that Nevada would beat California by four. They won that game by five. Then you said it would beat Idaho state by I think 35 and they won by 39. So You've been pretty good so far. Uh, <laughs> pretty close. Pretty lucky, yeah. I guess I would put it. <laughs> then your third prediction was, was Kansas State 38-35. You know, and I think obviously that, that that can be revised here with all the different circumstances going on. So, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. I think if Kansas State's going to win this game, it's, they're going to have to, you know, drag it into the 20s probably. I just – I feel like Nevada's going to win. I feel like the quarterback is obviously a big – you know, X factor in a lot of these games. And I've seen so many games the last two years where Carson Strong is an NFL quarterback and the player Nevada is going against at that position is not an NFL quarterback. And that's why the Wolfpack wins the game. So, you know, I'm going to probably end up picking Nevada. I put out my three keys in prediction on our website, Nevada Sportsnet, every Friday. And, you know, I still got to do a little bit more research on Kansas State, especially with the quarterback change before I actually – put down the score, but I feel like at this point I'm leaning toward picking Nevada to win by probably like five, six points. I do think Kansas State can win this game for sure if they just play up to their potential and Nevada has some issues up front. But, you know, given the advantage the Wolfpack has on offense at quarterback and with these wide receivers, I don't know that Kansas State is necessarily going to be able to keep up with them blow for blow scoring wise if Nevada doesn't turn the ball over. And they've done a really good job of not turning the ball over with this quarterback. Yeah. You know, it's funny because JT, I mean, the, the way I remember at least, you know, when we first saw Will Howard, who's, you know, similar frame, I feel like, to Carson Strong. I think he's even got like 20 pounds on him, but, you know, big guy, 6'4", pretty strong arm. So when we first saw him, there were some some of us who were like, hey, he looks like he could be an NFL quarterback. And then we saw him play a few games. Like, oh, okay. He needs some work. <laughs> I mean, I watch. So the starting quarterback at Michigan is a kid who grew up eight houses down from me in Reno. He played for Damani Ranch High School, which is like two miles from my house. And Michigan is 2-0 this year. Kate McNamara is the kid's name, the starting quarterback at Michigan. I really like the kid. Uh, I think he threw for about 50 yards yesterday in, in the win <laughs> over Washington. You know, so you can go look at these elite power five programs and they still don't have a quarterback like nearly close to Carson Strong. So like that's, I just see this quarterback and I try not to like overestimate him, but like this is a really good player and he's got really good players around him. And if Nevada's going to lose games this year, it's going to be because, you know, they don't give those guys a chance just to show how good they are. 
So it does come down to the line so often, but there's just something very special about this quarterback. As somebody who watched Colin Kaepernick go through Nevada and become a quarterback who could lead a team to the Super Bowl like he did with the 49ers, like Carson Strong to me is a much better NFL prospect being able to throw the ball than even Colin Kaepernick was. So, you know, it's hard for me to envision this team losing games unless it either A, self-implodes, or B, just gets absolutely destroyed up front and doesn't give their star quarterback a chance to do what he will do if he's given three or four seconds to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, appreciate you, you coming on. Look forward to the game. Are you making the trip to Manhattan? Uh, no, so we're actually sending two other people from our staff. I'll be uh, here from home. I've, I've got a couple kids now, so I don't travel as much. So we have a youth yeah. soccer game right beforehand, and we'll enjoy the battle. But it, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be really, really cool to see how Nevada handles that challenge of going to a really you know, cool place to play against some really good players that they don't necessarily see at the Mountain West level. All right. Sounds good. Now. All right. Well, Chris, thanks for, for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. No worries. You guys enjoy the game. So, yeah. yeah.